You're listening to New York Pacific, brought to you by your own free will. Tonight's episode, Labor's Love Lost, a handcrafted tragicomedy of industry imploding into idleness. On behalf of the entire police force, I want to assure you that we're going to get the creep who robbed you. Thank you, detective. I'll be so relieved once this whole mess is over. I just can't believe such a thing would happen. This neighborhood definitely ain't what it used to be. Hell, this whole world ain't what it used to be. It's tough to pinpoint exactly when things started going south. But according to many sources, trouble all started as so much trouble does. At an apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Hey, Sarah, we haven't seen you since you, uh, you moved into your new place last week. How's it treating you? Jennifer? Paul? I need a drink. What's wrong? I thought you said you found a great deal. I thought so, too. The place is close to everything, and the rent is next to nothing, but the roommates are super weird. This couple, Thad and Talia, are on the lease, and they are obsessed with this chore wheel. Neat freaks, huh? You don't know the half of it. Hello. Hi, I'm Sarah, the new subletter. It's great to finally meet you. Ah, uh, yes, Sarah, the new subletter. I'm Natalia, and this is Thad. Welcome, Sarah. We hope you like it here. We keep it neat, nice, and clean. Trust me, I love keeping things neat and tidy. Yes, that is one of the things we truly enjoyed in your emails. This is the living room. Note the light. And here's the closet. Garbage goes here. Got it. And here's the kitchen. Would you like something to drink? Sure, just some water is fine. Allow me. So, have you lived here a while? Oh, thanks, Thad. Long enough. May I take that glass? I just... Yes, I guess. Thanks. Oh, not at all. For you see, I'm on kitchen duty today. You see, we have over here on the fridge a chore wheel. Oh. Yeah. Keeps everything nice and fair, so no one feels put upon, you know? It's what maintains order in our corner of the world, in this apartment. It allocates. It delineates. It demonstrates fairness, equality, and commitment to cleanliness. To order. Order that the world so desperately needs. Weird. (laughs) Didn't you say there was another one? Yeah, this guy named Kenny... I've never met him in the whole time I've been there, though. He just stays in his room all day. He must work from home. Seems like he always does his assigned chores, either when I'm asleep or at work, but Thad and Talia are always on his case. Here's your room, Sarah. Feel free to set your things down. Thanks. Ooh, this bag fell over. Let me get that for you. Oh, thanks, Thad. Keeping things neat and orderly is the responsibility of everyone. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's easy when it's just three bags, huh? You might think so. I'm convinced that Kenny could make quite a mess with one bag. Kenny? Our other roommate. Don't give Kenny a second thought. Everything you need to know about him is on the chore wheel. Indeed. Kenny would be lost without it. We all would be lost without it. It keeps Kenny in his place. How bad could he be? Do not ask questions that you could never bear to see answered. The answer to your question lies beyond the scope of the wheel. Remove the wheel and you summon forth the full force of Kenny's wrath. He's an agent of entropy, Sarah. 
of disorder, of empty toilet paper rolls, moldy food in the fridge. As it is written, no home nor domicile shall be safe should he be loosed upon the world. An agent of entropy? Seriously, what's their deal with Kenny? What did he ever do to them? Fountain Talia sounds like a pair of anal retentive assholes. No kidding. And there is no room for error. This wheel is... I mean, right before I left. Hey guys, I'm gonna go grab drinks with some friends. Wanna come with? Sarah, before you depart, there is a matter we must discuss. You see, Sarah, this is the chore wheel. Jeez, Pete. Uh, it is round, like a shield, like the shields of ancient Rome, who brought order and Pax Romana to the ancient world. Just as Earth's orbit is akin to the wheel, telling us when to have seasons, the chore wheel gives order. Yes, let it work. For instance, note this plate in the sink, and, and then consult the wheel. Okay. It tells me that I am on bathroom duty. It tells Talia when to take out the trash. It tells Kenny to ensure the cleanliness of the living room. And what does it tell you, Sarah? It's really quite simple, Sarah. I'll wash the plate, you guys. I know you believe you are a good roommate, Sarah. Understand the chore wheel is here for all of our benefits. Let me get that plate right now. Very good. If you need us or have any questions at all about the chore wheel, we'll be watching Netflix. Sarah, you need to introduce yourself to Kenny. I get that it's important to keep the place clean, but that and Talia sound... They sound nuts. You need... You two, you and Kenny, need to talk about it. I don't know... Thad and Talia make Kenny out to be some kind of monster. They're insistent that, for some reason, this stupid wheel is the only thing that stops him from running amok. I I, I don't know, not replacing trash bags or something. Well, you and Kenny both pay the rent, so you should have a say in how things go. It's two against two, right? You know what, guys? You're right. When I get home, I'm going to knock on his door and get to know him. What's the worst that could happen? Just invite him over for a beer. Yeah. I think I will. But first, shots. Hello, anyone home? Thad? Talia? Nothing. Except... Yup. Light under your door, Kenny. Let's be friends. Kenny? Hey, Kenny, I don't want to interrupt, but... Can I interest you in a... Um, in a beer? Oh, hey, you must be Sarah. I'd love a beer. Thanks for offering. Oh, man, I can't believe we haven't met yet. I've been a bit of a shut-in, I guess. Oh, just different schedules, huh? I guess so. So, you know, how are things going so far? You, you know, getting along with, well, you know, Talia and Thad and everything? To be honest, I mean, am I crazy or are they kind of... <laughs> oh, I know, right? Oh, did they give you the spiel about the, the, chore, the chore wheel? wheel? Oh my god, the fucking chore wheel! Oh, they are freaks about it. Just freaks. I know! Ah, Thank you so much for acknowledging that. I was trying to describe them to my friends, and I could tell they thought I was exaggerating. <laughs> oh, there is no exaggerating, Thad and Talia. Oh, and that godforsaken chore wheel. I mean... Honestly, we're adults. Do we need a chore wheel? Hey, Sarah, here's a little secret. No one needs a chore wheel. We should just ditch it. Shh. 
Should we? Should we prank him? Prank him good? Oh my gosh, you know we should. Just hide it. Oh, it's right over there on the fridge. Go get it. Well, where should we hide it? Um, oh, oh, what about, uh, what about the drawer under the oven there? That's good. Here, put it in there. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, you, you got it. You got it. Get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kenny, I like you. Aw, Sarah, you're all right. Hey, you hungry? I don't want to walk all over the kitchen you freshly washed, but I think I've got some pizza rolls in the freezer here and... Kenny, the chore wheel is gone. Don't worry about that. I'm starved. Oh, cool. Uh, you preheat the oven. I'll find the pizza rolls. Oh, what two? Uh, you know, 400, I think. Here. Whoa, do you smell something? Huh? Is there some... Ah, oh, fuck. Is that the oven drawer? It's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> the broiler's where all the flames are. Whoops. Shit, we just incinerated the chore wheel. Whoa. Here, let's get some water on that. And got water and chore wheel ash everywhere. Well... <laughs> Let it never be said that I'm not thorough. <laughs> Oops. Uh, let it never be said that I'm not clumsy either. Anyway, pizza rolls. And there go the pizza rolls. Oh, some nights are not your <laughs> night. Oh, I'll get some more from the store. Sarah, is that you? Do you smell smoke? Kenny! Hello, Thad! What are you doing out here? Where's the... Where is the chore wheel? Oh, I think you'll find it spread across the room! <laughs> I'm free! You'll never get away with this, Kenny. Oh, but I already have! By the way, we're all out of toilet paper! Damn you, Kenny! So long! I don't understand. As a disheveling wraith, Kenny shouldn't have been able to escape from the power of the chore wheel. As a what? Unless someone helped him. Kenny is a wraith? Kenny is no mortal roommate. He's a disorderly deity born in the bedraggled sections of Hell's most must corner. He was contained here until someone let him out. Well, gotta admit, it didn't occur to me that he was a hell-bound force of messiness. Whoops! I'll get that later! Cool? It would appear you did not. Chaos spread from that apartment across the country and across the world. Dishes were left unwashed and all over the place. At first, food was replaced with IOUs until eventually nothing replaced it. What food there was grew moldy in thousands of fridges, if not right there on the countertop, calling forth the vermin of the world. No IKEA bookshelves were assembled. Rather, they sat aspirationally in their boxes in the living room amidst piles of books. Lights were left on, but by who? No one could say. No common living space was ever free of socks. It was a dark time. Much of human enterprise was swallowed, straightening and cleaning. Leisure fell to all-time lows. Hmm, all right, class of 96. Who remembers this one? Charlie, I'm so glad you made it to the reunion. Allie, I can't believe it's been 10 years. You look great. Aw, uh, thanks, Charlie. So do you. Hey, do you remember high school student council? Great times. Yeah, you were president. And I had a great vice president to help me. Well, I just wish I could have done more. It was just so hard to juggle that 
marching band, debate, chess club. Jeez, looking back on high school, I spent more time in extracurriculars than in class. Seriously, I don't know how I was able to get all of my council work done on top of doing the newspaper. You know, being in the choir and playing softball. I can still hear Miss Schroeder yelling at us to give 110%. Well, how are you doing these days? Ugh, busy. I've been pulling 60-hour weeks at the office these days. But hey, I mean, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? I guess that means I have twice as much love in my life because I've actually been working a second job waiting tables on the weekend. You're such a hard worker, Charlie. I admire that about you. I really do. I wish I even had the time for a second job, but... When I'm not at work, I volunteer at the Humane Society. That's great, Allie. I remember you were always a dog person. I tell you, if I wasn't worked like a dog, I would absolutely love the chance to give back to the community. Of course, that would also mean that I'd have to give up working on my next novel. You're a writer? Yeah, I've had a couple of my works published and did a few book signing tours. I guess I've made a little bit of money out of it, but, you know, between my two jobs and also some graphic design work I do freelance, I don't really need any more money. It's mostly just a nice way to stay active and have a creative outlet. Oh, I totally understand the need for an outlet. I mean, I do yoga myself. I'm part of this group that meets in Madison Square Garden every morning at 5 in the morning every day. And I am so thankful that I got involved because I've really found that it's given me the energy to get everything I need to get done. That's great. That sounds great, Allie. I know it sounds great, but this blessing also comes with a curse. A couple of months ago, our instructor moved to San Diego, and I was asked to lead the group. It's like, hello, I'm already working more than I'm sleeping, and I volunteer, and I do community theater, and you want me to find more time to do this? Yeah, I I get it. You know, I have my own garden these days. I'm remodeling my bathroom. I'm learning Spanish. I'm working towards my master's degree. I take trips upstate to pick apples in the fall after I plant them in the spring. I'm getting married. Charlie, you two made it. I guess this is the student council table now that the treasurer is here. Hey, Tara. What have you two been up to since high school? I don't even know where to begin. Don't get me started. I'm so busy that I had to just quit my job. But in the depths of despair, help was coming soon for the humans. Once upon a time, there lived an honest old cobbler. He was a good man, too good even. When the people of the village needed their shoes fixed, they would take them to the cobbler, who would fix them very well, but the cobbler refused to take any money from his poor customers. And many people in the little village were very poor, so the cobbler was almost always broke. Oh, Mitzi, the cobbler told his beloved cat late one night, late in the month, late in the year. I'm afraid this month is going to be very tight. The cost of materials is up, but our neighbors need their shoes repaired. If only we could sell a few pairs of nice new shoes to the rich people of the village. Some sturdy boots. Then we could pay the rent. But I haven't the time to make the sturdy boots. When I was a young man, I could make them quickly, but it's harder for me now. It takes too much time. The landlord isn't going to want to hear that. Mitzi meowed. She saw how hard the cobbler worked and how tired the little old man was. But being a cat, she was also meowing because she was hungry. The little old man was hungry too, but he gave the rest of his meager dinner to Mitzi. Well, I suppose it's off to bed, the cobbler said as Mitzi finished his meal. Tomorrow's the first of the month, Mitzi. I don't know how we're going to pay the landlord. As he slowly made his way up the stairs, 
Mitzi heard the cobbler muttering to himself, What are we to do? Snow began to fall on the village. The little cobbler awoke to find the village buried. He had always loved the way snow made the world seem new and beautiful. But that day he felt sad. People were going to be needing boots, and he had no boots to sell. As he stared out the window, Mitzi ran into the room, meowing up a storm. Oh, Mitzi, said the cobbler. You must be so hungry. Let's see if we have anything for breakfast. But Mitzi wasn't just hungry. I mean, she was a cat, so that was part of it. She was also excited. And when the cobbler got downstairs, he understood why. The little shop was full of beautiful, sturdily constructed boots. Mitzi, it's a miracle! The cobbler cried out. He couldn't believe his eyes. Did you do this? But before Mitzi could explain that, as a cat, she could never have done such a thing, the Baroness burst through the cobbler's door. Oh my! Said the Baroness. How sneery it is this morning. Have you any boots, good cobbler? The Baroness could see well that the room was, of course, full of boots, but asked just to be polite. Hi, hi. The cobbler stammered. He was generally very polite, but was very shocked as well. How about these handsome ones here? Asked the Baroness. Why, I don't know if I've ever seen such a lovely boot. Have you any in a seven and a half wide? Mitzi knocked over a pair of boots, seven and a half wide. The delighted Baroness happily paid for the boots and went back out, now properly attired, into the snowy village. As she went out the door, she passed the mayor, who was coming in. He too wanted boots and found a handsome pair in his size as well. The cobbler couldn't believe his and Mitzi's good fortune. By four o'clock, word had spread throughout the village that the cobbler's new boots were comfortable, stylish, and of the very highest quality. And he sold more boots than ever before in his many years. By the time the landlord arrived to collect the rent, the cobbler was not only able to pay the rent, he also sold the landlord an attractive pair of loafers that had been hiding behind some very tall boots. As the last customer left the shop with the last pair of boots, the cobbler realized he still had no idea where all the boots had come from. He had paid the rent, but still had very little to spend on food. So he again gave Mitzi the rest of his meager supper. When we went to bed, no boots. We wake up, boots all over. But if someone had come into the house, we would have seen tracks in the snow. It's quite a mystery, Mitzi. He made his way up the stairs, slightly faster than last night, feeling lighter with at least one less financial burden weighing him down. But even once tucked into bed, the cobbler couldn't sleep. He kept wondering who had helped him make boots. Just as he was on the verge of drifting into a fitful, wandering sleep, the cobbler heard movement downstairs. I'm sure that's just Mitzi, he said to himself, but Mitzi was snoring from the foot of the bed. Why, I suppose it isn't, the cobbler said. Perhaps, perhaps it's the neighbors, perhaps it's... The cobbler paused. He listened. There was no mistaking it. It was the sounds of cutting and sewing and, and yes, even hammering. Whoever's been making the shoes is making those shoes right now. The cobbler breathed. He stepped to the floor as quietly as he could. 
He put on his slippers and crept down the stairs, step by step by step, until finally he saw who was making the shoes. I don't believe it, he said. They're little mechanical men, robotniks. Well, that was half true. They were mostly tiny little mechanical men, although some of them were more accurately described as sole-fastening mechanisms or lace grommet applicator guns. All right, or... all right, all right. They're not all tiny mechanical men, but what in the hell is going on here? The cobbler cried out. Martin! Said a robot who wasn't doing much but watching other robots. I am Foremanbot. Uh, what are you doing? The cobbler asked, feeling slightly silly for talking to a robot. This evening's order. We have 35 pairs of clogs to make, 40 pairs of boots, and 15 pairs of pumps in order to get us ahead of the busy summer season. But why? Cobbler, your question does not compute. Foreman Bot said. We are made to make shoes. That is our purpose. The cobbler was touched. In his younger days, he felt the same way about making shoes. Like he too was born to do it. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Is there anything I can get you, little robots? Any snacks? A little bit of tea? Does not compute, cobbler. We do not eat. We do not snack. We do not need tea. Well, how do you like that? The cobbler said, amazed. Well, uh, can I help you? The cobbler thought he heard a single ha spread around the room from robot to robot. <laughs> and Foreman Bot looked around nervously. That will not be necessary, cobbler. Thank you for offering. Please, you sleep. No, you sleep. The cobbler shrugged. Well, that is what I do around this hour. Well, if you need anything, uh, let me know. As he climbed the stairs, he paused, looking back over the busy workshop and smiled. Business the next day boomed! Except for the 15 pairs of pumps. The robots had put those in back stock which now occupied the cobbler's old pantry. He moved his and Mitzi's food, which he could now afford, into a smaller closet upstairs. The next night, work resumed again, and the cobbler again came down to thank the robots. Gratitude, said Foreman Bot. The cobbler waited for him to continue or to say that it didn't compute, but neither one seemed to be happening. So the cobbler again retired to bed, full and happy. For the first time in years, his shop was making money. The next day, while business was booming again, one of the poor families of the village came in. The cobbler was so happy to see them that he outfitted each of them in attractive winter boots and gave them slippers as well, which he had never been able to offer before. The family was so grateful, for winters in the village were harsh and without good boots when you're outside, and good sleepers for when you're in. The next day, while business was booming again, one of the poor families of the village came in. The cobbler was so happy to see them that he outfitted each of them in attractive winter boots and gave them slippers as well, which he had never been able to offer before. The family was so grateful, for winters in the village were harsh, and without good boots when you're outside, and good slippers for when you're in, poor villagers often became sick. Well, the cobbler was happy to help. As he came down for his nightly visit, for a moment, and he couldn't be sure, but it sounded like all the work paused, and then swiftly resumed. 
How goes it this evening, Foreman Bot? Asked the cheerful cobbler. Cobbler, there is discrepancy in the stocks and in the day's accounts. Foreman Bot replied. We are short four pairs of boots and four pairs of slippers from the stock. Oh, those. Well, this family came in and they were down to just two children. Last winter I could have sworn they had more, but... Foreman Bot cut the cobbler off. Cobbler, we are offering boots at reasonable and sustainable price. Oh, I know we are, Foreman Bot. Then... You no doubt understand that by sustainable, I mean to keep the business growing. Oh yes, Foreman Bot, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. I noticed the back stock is moving into my root cellar, and well, I'm happy to share the space. Easter heels, cobbler. Well, of course, I can appreciate that, but... Easter heels. With that, Foreman Bot turned back to the din. The cobbler felt uncomfortable as he mounted the stairs. That night, he couldn't sleep. He just stroked Mitzi while she snored. The next morning, the rest of the cobbler's food was out of the root cellar. He took the remaining potatoes upstairs and reasoned that, with all of the money coming in, he could always buy more if these spoiled. His conversations with the shoemaking robots became shorter, unless he gave away shoes to someone, in which case the cobbler knew he was in for a rather long recitation of expenses. Then, one night, the cobbler came downstairs and saw a larger robot that he was sure he didn't recognize. Oh, say, uh, Foremanbot? The cobbler gingerly asked Foremanbot, who had pretty obviously lost interest in talking to cobbler a while ago. Uh, who is that, uh, that new robot? Uh, what is it for? Cobbler. Bot. Foremanbot said, turning away. The cobbler stared at the cobbler bot... It was almost as tall as he was, same bald head, same slouch in the shoulders. Mitzi purred and rubbed against its legs. Good cat. Good cat. Mitzi, what are we to do? The transition was awkward at first, but the humans warmed to the idea of automation. Gradually, the only jobs left to do were ones that humans either excelled at or enjoyed doing for their own sake. Thank you for calling Comcast. Are you interested in upgrading your service? What? No, I'm calling about a charge on my bill that I didn't... Oh, not calling about a service upgrade? Uh, please hold. Okay. I hope you're writing all this down, Rookie. Uh, you put that person on hold five seconds after you answered their call? Right, right, right. So now they're going to be nice and irritated when I pick up in a couple minutes. The stage is set. Uh, you're intentionally angering them? Isn't our job to provide efficient service to our customers? Well... We provide a service, yes, but it's far from what you might call efficient. In in spite of how automated everything has become, people still want that. They want to know that there's another human being when they call support lines. And you know why? They want someone to empathize with their problem. See, that's what we thought too at first, but empathy is one of many emotions that a person can feel, and we aim to deliver experience that runs the gamut. An experience with another person can't just be another touch-and-go matter, you know? We aim to pr- provide some drama, some, some twists, some, some turns, some strum and drong, you know? Uh, uh, watch and learn. <clears throat> Hello, thank you for your patience. How can I help you? I already told you there's a charge on my bill that I didn't agree to. Ooh, sorry to hear that. Let me transfer you to billing. Uh, how do we transfer to the billing department? Oh, no, no, we don't do that. Uh, just your watch and learn from the master. You can learn a thing or two from me and my Jimmy Stewart impression. Wait, What? Oh, hello there. You've reached the billing department. Uh, what can I do for you, old sport? There's a charge on my cable bill for HBO, and I... 
I don't. I don't have HBO. Oh, that, that, that's that's that, that, that's terrible. That's terrible. Well, I'll just pull up your account here. I your phone number. Oh, I can't see HBO anywhere for the life of me. So, can you reverse the charges? Uh, well, I'd love to help you out of this jam. The problems with the premium service, like HBO, has to be transferred one of the one of the big guys, in the account specialist department. Uh, just please hold. Hey, we don't have an account specialist department. Well, sure, but you know, you need the changes in scenery to keep the action lively. You need a full cast of characters, <clears throat> like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <clears throat> You've reached the account specialist department. How may I help? I've received a charge on my last month's bill for HBO, but I don't have HBO. At first, I was transferred to the billing department, and then they- Oh, you're looking for billing department? Please hold. No, no, I just spoke with them, and they tra- You're not transferring them anywhere. You're just changing your voice. This is the rising action. Dude, you haven't seen anything yet. <clears throat> oh, hello there. You reached the billing department. I just spoke with you, and you transferred me to an account specialist. Oh, you're looking for an account specialist? I'll transfer you right over. Wait, I- You've reached the account specialist department. I'll may I help. I was just speaking with you. Your company has a real problem with customer service. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I will transfer you to our customer service department. No, no, I want- Hey, you reached the customer service department. What can I do for you today? You can start by telling whoever your supervisor is that I'm very- Oh, you want to talk to a supervisor? You got it. Why is this so difficult? Greetings. You've reached a supervisor. How may we be of assistance to you? I've been reconnected to- I don't know how many departments trying to resolve this issue. Last month, I was charged for a service that I didn't use, and I want to be refunded. Oh my, you have our apologies. We shall exercise our power as supervisor to rectify the situation. Please hold. You've impersonated Jimmy Stewart, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bob Dylan, and now the Queen of England? Are you ever going to help this person? Whoa, 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 whoa. Help this person? Rookie, you're missing the point. The pathos, the highs, the lows, the tension, the release. And now... Just as this caller's hopes are up, there's a dramatic twist. Hi there, welcome to Comcast. How can I be of a help to you today? I was just talking to a supervisor about an erroneous charge on my bill. Ooh, sorry, buckaroo. I don't know anything about a supervisor. Can't you just pull up my record from my phone number? No can do, friend. I can transfer you to billing if you'd like. No, no, no. I cannot take it anymore. I can I have been transferred... Over and over again, sometimes to the same person who treats me like he's never heard of me before. Like a complete stranger. Do you have any idea what that feels like? I've been falsely charged, don't you understand? And now, as as I try to stand up for myself and for my very rights, this company puts me through hell and back. You can't do this to me. I'm I'm a human being, goddammit. I'm a human being! We're terribly sorry to hear about that, darling. The lines were accidentally crossed. We're pleased to announce the erroneous charge has been removed. Really? Do you do you really mean that? I mean, I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I don't understand. You put that person through so much stress. What I put him through, friend, was a a hero's journey of sorts, a a buildings Roman, if you will. Like I said, human interaction is a beautiful thing, and Comcast aims to provide its customers with the the full scope of emotions that come with it. That's kind of inspiring, actually. You, uh, you think you're ready to take your first call there, Rook? You know what? Yes, I am. Hello, and thank you for calling the Comcast. My wife. But the transition wasn't always so graceful. 
Humans who gained meaning even from dull jobs were reticent to give them up. I once heard a tale. Now John Henry was a good man, a mighty man, a steel-driving man. With his trusted hammer in hand, John Henry could drive any spike you can think of into any rock you can name. Faster than you could blink an eye, yes he could. God's honest truth, there wasn't no one who worked harder or faster than good old John Henry. Why, John Henry worked so hard that he dug right through Big Bend Mountain. Other men, they had to stop working because they got dirt in their eyes or smoke in their lungs. But John Henry, you better believe he just kept driving through until there was a big hole in the Big Bend. <laughs> now, one day a city slicker salesman from up north, he went down to where John Henry was hammering away. And he brought with him, would you believe it, a bright and shiny automaton. This here Yankee boasted that his mechanical man could work harder than anyone present and wagered a crisp, clean $100 bill on it. Now, the only thing that folks never saw John Henry do was back down, so he accepted the challenge, clutching his hammer. John Henry walked right up to this railroad robot and, as legend has it, said something like this. No man a machine can drive steel faster than me. Error does not compute. Pride is not equal to talent or strength. Oh, big words from a tin can. Error does not compute. I can do anything better than a tin can or a human. Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Anything you can sing, I can sing sweeter. I can sing anything sweeter than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. No, you can't. He's doing it. John Henry is winning. Oh, my heart. There's something wrong with John Henry. It's his heart he's losing. Er does not compute. You should have won, but you deliberately lost the competition. It's my heart. You broke it. Error. What? Does love not compute, you old bucket of bolts? No. The error was in me for not noticing you earlier. Look, they're kissing? And that's done how it went. Well, my name ain't Jonas P. Mechbot. That was widely considered the first alliance between robots and mankind. Speaking of which, here comes my partner, Detective TK421. Greetings, Bert. Is this the victim? Why, yes I am. I am Detective TK421. Though I cannot empathize with your situation, I want to assure you that I am programmed to put the lowlife who did this to you behind bars. Bert, the lineup is ready. Alright, man. I've gotta go check out the lineup. You're in good hands with TK421. 
May I get you anything? Cup of coffee, maybe. Um, no, thank you. Your partner was just telling me about the history of how things got to be the way they are. It's quite interesting. Ah, storytelling. Though it is often considered within the domain of human experience, my memory can store countless narratives. You see, once humans were free from toil, interest soon expanded. Roger Ahrens, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? I'm going to judge the Palm Door Festival in Cairns! In light of everyone being freed to follow their passions, even the world's strongest and most successful athletes began developing their interests beyond their chosen sports. As football players are accustomed to studying massive amounts of film, many gravitated to international cinema, eventually working their way all the way to the juries at the famed Cannes Film Festival. The transition was easier than you might imagine, with only occasional flubs of pronunciation. And the pre de interpretation feminine goes to Krishna Janda for her portrayal of Antonia Dizwiz in... Princess Lucani. I, I just uh, want to take this opportunity to thank Dujuan and the rest of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Landbackers, on this jury for this prestigious honor. To tell you the truth, I was pulling for uh, Sarif Cesar, who really uh, put a lot of heart in portraying Saeed Ali's wife, who was forced to turn to prostitution in the movie, Yol. I thought the director, Yomaz Guni, had a great game plan that she really executed when she- I am in the middle of acceptance speech. Uh, how terribly rude of me. This newly found space for cross-cultural interaction seemed to flow in only one direction, until the director, Pak Chan Wook, was hired as the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. The routes run by his receivers were said to be immaculately framed. Although his quarterbacks complained that Park's inability to speak English was costing them valuable minutes when they ran no-huddle drills. Jean-Luc Godard was brought in to revitalize a flailing modified West Coast offense for the Chicago Bears, promptly alienating much of the team by adding sections from the Jagavirgo Film Club to weekly study which Jay Cutler rejected on grounds of being too ostentatiously Brechtian. And also, as you put it, boring is watching fucking shit dry. Fellow Frenchman Christophe Honoré replaced Mike McCarthy as head coach of the Green Bay Packers. As not only the first French head coach, but also the first openly gay French head coach of an NFL team, many fans without much previous interest in football rooted for Honoré and the Packers in his second season as head coach, as they posted the best record in the NFC and enjoyed home field advantage en route a Super Bowl victory. Covered in Gatorade and confetti at the game's end, it was clear that Honoré's new profession had influenced him as much as he had influenced it. Coach, much like your 2006 film Don Paris winning the César Award, this team has really pulled together and brought back the competition's most prestigious prize. These guys gave, how do you say, 110%. Randall Cobb reminds me of Louis Grell in that role. So much potential, piercing eyes, frequent involvement in, how does one say, love triangles. The worth of certain professions, which up until then had only garnered cultural capital, became overly valued, as cultural capital became the only capital left. All right, everyone, gather around, gather around. Are the kids at the kids' table? We're here. Stupendous. Well, I guess after all that roasting, it's time to toast this bird. 
and first accolades. And the first accolades have to go to my lovely wife. She took time out of her busy schedule as an abstract sculptor, put down her welding torch and gigantic phallic metal shapes in order to cook a turkey in a manner that Martha Stewart herself would have envied. She's, what's the word, honey? Um, spatchcocked. Spatchcocked the hell out of this bird. Am I right, everybody? Yeah. Hold on now. And it's only suitable to also tip my proverbial hat to the eldest, Sandra. Sandra, you're not just an exemplary professional adult kickball coach. You apparently also know how to braise a mean helping of parsnips. I know they're vegetables, but kids, you're going to want to get these while their getting's good. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Right, right. Dad, if I may. Of course, Sandra. I, I can't take all the credit for the parsnips. Cousin April deserves to be recognized as well. Of course. Beloved Cousin April. She's had a hell of a year as a writer slash producer slash star of some of the most graphic, disturbing, and may I just say incoherent shadow puppet plays I've ever seen. And I just know that your next one, uh, which is called what, my dear? Periods Aplenty, a slasher girl puppet play about the journey to womanhood. That's right. The art section called it both a figurative and literal mess. Well, we just couldn't be happier for you, and I know it's going to continue to be a great success based on the metrics that you and only you could possibly believe constitute success. There are always plenty of seats available, guys. Of course there are. Uh, hey, Dad? Uh, oh, yes, Miles. Uh, can we hurry this up? I've got a call with a few partners at the firm here shortly. Oh. Uh, well, sure, Miles. You, uh, you keep on keeping on, buddy. I'm sure that someday you'll find something more gratifying than being the... Is it the highest paid iBanker at your firm? Third highest, Dad. Well, what do you know? You're moving up already. I'm sure someday you'll, fu- you'll be free of the incredible profits of iBanking soon enough. I'm glad you were able to sneak out for a little bit of turkey here. Miles has had a tough year. That stock price just keeps rising, doesn't it? You know, Thomas was telling me there might be an opening in his improv troupe, dear. Uh, Yes, and you'd be perfect, Miles. Your mom is very right about that. Is she? Oh, yes, and. You know, Miles. Ugh, yes, Grandma? Your grandfather found life as a drag burlesque dancer very rewarding. She used to always say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And she never did. Yeah. And she never did. Yes. Heard all about it. Now, now, Miles, there's no reason to be hostile. A lot of us spent a few years wondering about, trying to figure out what we wanted to do with our life. Why I myself spent a number of years as an accountant before I finally found my way as a conspiracy theorist blogger. And I'm sure the secret cabal of Jews that run the world have a plan for you, too. So let us drink a toast of gratitude to them all. Look. I found what I'm doing. I'm an eye banker. Yep. Why don't you all rail on Jerry? She's the engineer. Don't judge me. No one's judging you, sweetheart. Come off it, Mom. We're very proud of you, Jerry. Why, you're practically an architect. What with building bridges and all. I'm not an architect, Mother. Architects work with form and aesthetics. I calculate load bearings. And that's a very nice way of expressing yourself. I express physics! Oh, dear. Now see here, Jerry and Miles, you listen too. 
I know you don't like listening to old Uncle Gaspacho, but I need to tell you. Being a part of this family means making something of yourself. I myself work in a call center on the side, but that's just a hobby of mine. That's only after I've put in a nice, long, hard day of satisfying video gaming. Here, here, Gaspacho. Thank you. Now, please join me in raising your glasses in gratitude to the secret world controlling Jews. You've blessed us dearly. Here, here. With the robot revolution in full swing, the world became an efficient and rational place. With robots capable and calculating around the clock, the pace of scientific advancement increased at unprecedented speeds. Within months, cloning was perfected. Freed from your facile human mortality, the robots began human cloning almost right away, determining that since humans are pretty much only interested in humans, distracting them with more humans was the only way to keep them all busy enough that they stopped shouting about Skynet, putting on sunglasses and leather and trying to dismantle the world the robots had made for them. However, the humans, somewhat predictably, didn't take too kindly to the perfection of human cloning. The humans believed that, no matter how rational and perfect the robots got, they couldn't perfect art. Something about it always seemed to elude even the best robo-artists. Our landscapes were declared mawkish, our plays too sentimental. The humans finally had something to do, and while not everyone could be as good as the old masters, they at least could be good for their time and place. Until the robots began cloning the old masters, that is. Detective Bert, welcome back. Is the lineup ready? Shall we proceed with business? Well, we'll get to that in a second, but first, I want to wrap this story up, and I think a human touch would be fitting, don't you? Does not. Okay, yeah, I get it. Anyway, with several dozen Picassos grinding away, his ouvoir continued to grow. His new digital presence was truly astounding, if rightly derided as rather sexist. Still, Picasso gifs were really something. Still, it wasn't all Guernicas and Roses, and no sector was more put out than the original copies, the imitators, the cover bands. The reintroduction of Elvis caused the Las Vegas economy to plunge. It went from a hive of gambling to one of crime, climaxing with a heist at Caesars perpetrated, according to the security cameras, by three Elvi, two Barbara Streisands, and one very drunk-looking Frank Sinatra imitator who was later revealed to be a Sinatra clone. All over the country, people looking and acting like other people took over the night. It was a horribly confusing time, exacerbated by the fact that the unprecedented amount of wealth the robots had created had eliminated most crime. This had freed most of the police to follow their dreams of entering the octagon of ultimate fighting, and law enforcement enrollments were dwindling, leaving only the hardest-boiled, roughest detectives, all of whom were at or near one day away from retirement. All right, ma'am, again, I'm terribly sorry about your purse, but we've managed to compile a lineup of viable suspects here. And by we, I mean Detective TK421 over there. Yes. Well, thank you, detectives. No, just thank Detective TK421. Unnecessary. Nailing this perp is all I care about. Ah, uh, very, very well then. As you can see, you mentioned that you were robbed by another imitator gone rogue. So... I rounded up all the imitators in the area at the prescribed time. Calculate. Profession. Calculate. Time. Calculate. Location. That's very reasonable of you. Well, that's what we thought, too. Give it a rest, Bert. Okay. 
Can you all step forward one at a time and read the line once at a time? Starting with you, number one. I'd like the purse, please, you old poo. Please, no riffing. Well, I'm sorry, mechanical man. We can only do what we were born to do. I guess you were born to bring everyone down, eh, Cookie? You see, TK421, this is why your aggregation didn't make any damn sense. Do you want me to recite statistics pertaining to how human cops used to aggregate? Uh, No, no, jeez. How did it ever come to this, answering to a machine? The man who hired you is scheduled to fight in a chain-link polyhedron tonight. That's how. Number three, please step forward. You'll betcha. It was it was number six the whole time. I I just just wanted to see how this would go. Step forward, six. Uh, I'll see here. Your money isn't here. Everyone else can go. Uh, help me, Clarence. That'll be all for the day, ma'am. Bert, Bert, don't you recognize me? Helped you save money on Comcast Triple Play. We'll see what we can get out of him with the old good cop, robocop routine. You mustn't have meant to imply that you are the good cop. Thus, implying that that distinguishes you from myself. Don't tell me what I mustn't have meant to have done, you bucket of bolts. Any perp you can book, I can book better. I follow the law to the letter and book perps better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. I wanna live again. I wanna live. Does not compute. Labor's Love Lost starred Jessica Coyle, Julie Krylin, Mark Exquin, Nigel Harsh, Christine Kanavnik, Ben Richmond, and Bethany Weiss. It was written by Mark Exquin and Ben Richmond and was produced by Nigel Harsh and is a production of New York Pacific. We'll see you next time. You won't see us.